Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Panier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Luco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome Taylor Snyder, uh, American Association champion. So, t- Taylor, thanks for joining us here this week. Yeah, boys. Thank you for having me on. Well, Taylor, let's start it here. I know the league chose uh, John Hernandez as the MVP of the championship series. We chose you, I, I just want to say. Um, phenomenal playoff run for you. And I'm just first, your, your just initial thoughts on winning the titles with Kansas City. Uh, you know what? That was the most fun um, I've had playing baseball in a really long time. Um, it was a fantastic group of guys. Our clubhouse was top-notch. Um, Joe did a really good job at, at kind of just letting us play and, and you know, chiming in when he needed to and, and having his little pump-up speeches and things like that. But at the end of the day, that was like a very veteran clubhouse and um, a lot of really good players with a lot of really good experience, a lot of experience. And, uh, man, we just had a blast. We really did. And we all did our job and we showed up ready to play and everyone was excited and I, I was very, very thrilled uh, with the time that I spent with the Monarchs. Now, I want to say, we, we chose you as MVP because uh, although John had a, a couple of huge hits for you guys in the, in the series, it seemed like a, a rally always began for you. Are you at a critical hit in a rally to keep it going alive or to get a, a run driven home? It just seemed like you were having just quite a series. Could you feel that as the series was going along? Um, yeah, you know what, like I kind of, uh, was able to get my feet in the ground, um, the last, I don't know what it was, three weeks of the regular season that I joined the team. And so, um, by the time the playoffs came around, I started to feel pretty comfortable and confident, um, kind of started getting in a rhythm and, uh, I felt good. I felt really good during the playoffs. I felt confident. Um, I felt like my, my old self, uh, Jan had a fantastic season and playoffs, um, so I was very excited for him, a well-deserved uh, MVP. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tried to do my best to help that team win, and, and usually that's in throughout my career that's when I have played my best is when the games really matter and uh, we're fighting for a championship. Uh, that's typically when I, I usually perform the best. So uh, I just you know, was was doing everything I could to help the team win, and that was all that was on my mind. And looking at your numbers when you joined Kansas City, I mean, five home runs in 19 games, I noticed he had struggled with Birmingham during the season. What did you feel clicked for you when you made the move and joined the Monarchs? Was there something that you changed, or was it just change of scenery? What do you feel precipitated the the solid um, 19 games plus playoffs that you had with the Monarchs? Um, You know, after I had left Birmingham, um, I was able to go home um, to see my, to see my family. My, my wife and I went home from Birmingham and uh, we were home for about two weeks. Um, So that, that gave me a a hard reset. Um, I initially was not going to come out and play independent ball at all. I kind of was, uh, thinking that I was done for the year at least. Um, so I kind of was able to get home and, and reset. Uh, my my time in Birmingham, 
I loved. Uh, you know, I, I felt like I got a fair opportunity from the White Sox, and sometimes it just doesn't really work out. Um, that league is very difficult to hit in and, to begin with. Um, they were experimenting with some baseballs that first half, uh, so that was an adjustment for me. But you know what? I just I came to to Kansas City with with a clean slate and a fresh mind, um, and I came with the intent that Joe had you know had told me coming in that we're we're going to win a championship, bro, and and you're going to be a piece of it. Uh, so I came in with that with that intent of just like I'm here to win. I'm not here to worry about myself or my stats. Like I'm here to plug into this already very successful team and just do what I can to help. That's all I thought. And uh, and you know what? It, it ended up working out. So it's kind of Joe who got you to to decide to continue to play the season then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had gotten released uh, by the White Sox, and and I, like I said, I had no intentions of playing. Um, to be honest, uh, I had kind of always told myself that I didn't want to play indie ball, and Joe was very persistent. Um, and we had joked about it when I came out, and you know, after we won the championship and things like that, me and him kind of joked about it because uh, he was on the phone with me. I had gotten called from numerous independent teams, and I just I just really wasn't interested. I wasn't interested in in the areas that they were in, and uh, my wife, you know, she comes first, and I was I didn't want to drag her to somewhere that you know neither of us wanted to be. But uh, he, Joe was persistent, man. I was home for two weeks, and I think he probably called me five or six times. Um, I initially told him no. And he kind of just kept checking in on me. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? How's your mind? Where you at? And uh, then he had told me, I think about after about 10 days, he was like, hey, man, like, we just had another player go down. Like, I want you bad. Like, I know you're the guy that we need. And uh, you know what? I just I just decided, okay, you know, I'm going to go out and play. I'm going to go out and play and, and just see if I can fall in love with the game again. And, uh, you know, I did. So very grateful for Joe being persistent. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I got because I had a blast. That, that's got to make you feel pretty special to get that, that kind of attention from a guy like Joe. <laughs> yeah, Joe, he, he fought for me a little bit. And I, I teased him, you know, I, I gave him some some crap for it because uh, because he was persistent and it definitely did it it felt good you know after being released you as a baseball player you 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 feel like trash you know there's no ifs ands or buts around it uh and to feel uh, i guess wanted for lack of a better term you know by a team by a manager uh it feels good i won't lie it feels good so So was the you know, was the Kansas a, City barbecue one of the selling points? <laughs> the Kansas City barbecue had had a part to do with it. Um, some some close <laughs> friends of my wife and I had a, a part to do with it. Um, a winning team had a part to do with it. And I mean, if I'm just being completely blunt, my wife had a week long work conference conveniently in Kansas City while we were out there. Uh, so she was going to have to be out there anyways for a week, uh, and I would say that definitely had a part in it as well. 
Now, let's look a little bit at your career here, Taylor. So a lot of success, made it to both AAA with both the Rockies organization and the White Sox. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit about, you know, how your career has gone for you, how, how you felt about the direction of your career up to this point. Um, you know, it was going uh, according to plan um, until last season, to be honest. Uh, you know, I was kind of, I had I had repeated uh, low A in Asheville, but other than that, I was moving up, you know, every level, or a year, a level a year, and it was, you know, I was on pace. Um, I had a really, really good year in 19, um, and then COVID hit, I came back, and I started the season very slow in 21, uh, in double A with the Hartford Yard Goats. Uh, my first month was just, it was it was interesting. It was one of those months where I felt like I was hitting the ball very well. I was having good at bats. Um, analytically, you know, as far as like exit velos and, and um, like the estimated batting average and things like that, they all were, they all were really good on paper, but like I wasn't getting the results and the numbers that, that I wanted. Um, had a, a really good conversation with my hitting coach with the Rockies, Darren Everson. Uh, one day we had a phone call for about an hour and a half, uh, got my mind right, and I took off the rest of that season. Uh, ended up, you know, having a very successful year. Um, I felt and I believed that, you know, that I I'd hoped that I was going to get a chance to play in the big leagues, you know, late that season, um, and I didn't. And that's, you know, everyone has that story. Uh, then I came back in 22 and, and was kind of being told in spring training that I was going to get a, a real chance at, at playing in the big leagues. Um, we broke the season in AAA and, uh, it just didn't work out. You know, uh, I wasn't playing as much as I'd hoped and I wasn't playing as well as I'd hoped. And then I tore my oblique in, I want to say May, um, I was out about 10 weeks with that injury. That was the first, my first, like, real injury in my entire baseball career. And when I came back from that, there was kind of just nothing left for me in that organization, unfortunately. Uh, so I kind of just sat the, the rest of the year. Um, so that was a, a huge, uh, that let that let a lot of the wind out of my sails. Um, 22 was very difficult for me. Um then I ended up, you know, going to Mexico in the off season. Um, I didn't play super well offensively, but I had a fantastic manager down there, um, Benji Gill, who uh, kind of put me in the right mindset. I was the White Sox gave me an opportunity to come to spring training, and I had a great camp. Um, I did really well in camp and and was very confident going into the season. Uh, they broke the news to me that I was headed to Double A to start, and you know, it just it just didn't work out there. Um, I loved my coaches. I, I liked my teammates a lot. And sometimes in baseball, it just just doesn't go how you want it to. So, like I said, I, I got released, and 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 you guys already heard the rest of that story. So, I found it interesting. You brought up. I was going to say I found it interesting. You brought up you brought up Darren Everson. And that that's a name that's um, 
from my past because Darren Everson, I can remember, was a first baseman for the Madison Black Wolf way back in 1996 in the old Northern League. So I was neat to hear that name. Um, yeah, and I, I, I have, I'd have to. And I have to say, I probably have your dad's baseball card sitting around somewhere in my house here, too. So what was it like? <laughs> yeah. um, was there any pressure being a son of a former major leaguer? Um, you know, I felt it more. I didn't ever feel it in high school. Uh, high school was, I, I, I was lucky enough to have a lot of success in high school. So, you know, when I was felt like I was paving my own path. I, I never felt it in high school. Uh, I struggled a little bit in JUCO. Um, and then, you know, there were times in my professional career that I've struggled a little bit. And that's kind of when you feel it. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I, I didn't I didn't really feel like an overwhelming sense of pressure, maybe more so than like anyone else did. Uh, I just, I knew that, you know, my dad had made a name for himself and, and my dad did a lot of things well. Uh, so it was more so just like, you know, I thought it was cool. It was special that I was able to share that with my dad. And, and my grandpa actually was a professional baseball player as well. So I'm actually a third generation. Uh, so there was, it was kind of, there was more of like a sense of pride. And there were some cool things throughout my career that um, that I got to share with my dad. Uh, and so the, those things just, to me, felt more special because my dad had been there and done that. But Taylor, I was kind of looking. I mean, you had some monster home run years just even a couple of seasons ago, and mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I get where you were talking about. You know, they kind of went in another direction. That that seems really surprising to me. I, I'm the first guy to say I don't understand minor league organizations whatsoever. But, but I mean, if you're kind of watching that, are you going, "What is going on here?" Because it would seem to me that would, that was kind of a silly decision on that part. Am, am I being a little too critical of them? Um. That's that's a hard question for me to answer because you know they they have their reasons and and they have their guys and um I thought for a minute that I was one of their guys but maybe I wasn't I'm not sure but you know I I felt like that I took care of my job on the field um because I I had a, a good offensive year but I also I played seven positions on defense. Uh, I was the only guy in the in the organization that was, was able to play seven positions on defense, and, and I felt like I played them well. But you know what? That's that's just how it works, and sometimes that happens. And I've, I've over the years, have spoke to a lot of players that um, felt like they shouldn't have, they should have gotten a chance that they didn't, and, you know, there, there's a lot of those stories out there, so I definitely don't feel like I'm the only one. But... Like I said, I thought I should have gotten a chance, and I didn't, and that's kind of just baseball. Well, let's look on the positive. Um, talk, talk to us a little bit about what, what were fun places you like to visit in the minors, things you enjoyed about minor league baseball. Uh, you know, I really liked playing. I started out in um, rookie ball or short season A-ball, rookie ball, whatever. Um, each team had a different name for it, but uh, in, in Grand Junction. And I really loved that first stop because I played my junior year of, of baseball at, at Colorado State Pueblo, and we would go into Grand Junction to play Mesa, and it was a huge rivalry. And so I was actually in Grand Junction like 
three weeks before uh, playing Mesa in the conference championship. And so the fans there, uh, they were like some of you know, they have some diehard fans in Mesa, and, and I was getting chirped in Mesa while I was there for the conference championship. And then, lo and behold, I get drafted by the Rockies, and I'm back there playing in Grand Junction like three weeks later, and some of the same fans, I had some funny moments with them, just like, hey, man, we just saw you a few weeks ago, and we were cheering against you, and, and now you're on our team. And so that stuff like that was funny, and not to mention like that league – uh, played in Orem, which is about 25 minutes from where I grew up in Utah, and then in Ogden, which is about an hour and 45. So I, those were home games for me. I had the pass lists that I had at those Orem games were <laughs> hilarious. I the, I knew the GM, so he would just put a separate pass list in my locker, and I was putting like 55 people on it a night. It was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Uh, the Cal League was a lot of fun because I played – my my whole family, both my mom and dad's side of the family are from California, so I played in front of a lot of family and friends in that league. Uh, I loved low, you know, I loved Loe in Asheville. Um, I had the greatest host family in the world, and and then I I really liked, you know, I liked everywhere. I I really didn't have a bad experience in the minor leagues. I liked Hartford. Um, that was the Eastern League was actually the Double A league that my dad. Uh, played in so that was cool for me that was we played in you know a league that we played in a lot of the same ballparks and things like that and we actually I actually have a really cool story about the Eastern League with my dad but and then Albuquerque Albuquerque is close to home it's it's a you go to Vegas you go to you know California you go to Tacoma which I grew up going to Tacoma's field because my dad was a hitting coach for three years there so that was a, a cool experience for me to go I grew up going to that field for my summers um and I remember just what, like taking BP with those guys in AAA when my dad was the hitting coach and just thinking, like, oh, my gosh, I would give anything to be in these guys' position. And so it was just some special moments like that that, that really stand out, and it was just fantastic. That worked out pretty well that you get to open your career in front of a bunch of people that you know. I mean, you got to feel like you're Yeah, kind it of was hilarious. Yeah, it was awesome. That was a cool experience. Good way to start. <laughs> I would say. No, had you in the minor leagues, had you got to play in playoff competition kind of thing before? Or was this in Kansas City a little bit of a new experience for you? No, it was different, and that's what I liked about it so much is that is the one thing that I wish the minor leagues did different is put more value into playoffs. And I get it. I get why they don't. I understand it. But I think if you're training these players to eventually try to compete for a World Series in the in the major leagues, like you would think you would want them to learn how to play like with that much pressure and, and things like that and, and incentivize the guys, you know, like a lot of us are not in the minor leagues are not making very much money. Like it does, all it would take is I'll give you guys five hundred bucks. I'll give your, your low A team five hundred bucks if you guys win the championship. Like that that would make a huge difference and that would give guys a reason to get out of their own uh their own way of like only con being worried about their own numbers and like learn how to play as a team and learn how to win baseball games i feel like that piece is missing in the minor leagues at every level um you just you just never really like nobody ever really like is super concerned about winning at least the the experience that i had and i really really missed that the one time that we got away from that was 
at the end of the 21 season because the the major leagues had started a little late because of covid uh, they kept us an extra 10 games in AAA just, you know, to line up and make sure that there was players, like, you know, actively playing and ready if they needed to be called up. And we played a 10-game playoff uh, in AAA, and it was essentially, I don't know, I think it was the league. I think it was like 80 grand. They said, you guys have 10 more games in AAA. We're just going to go AAA-wide. Best record takes home 80 grand as a team. And it split out to like 3200 bucks a player or something like that. But man, those ten games were fun. Oh my gosh, I I just had a blast. Our whole team did the game. It was a different feel. It was like it was a playoff feel. You know, we wanted to win, and everyone got out of their own way of of concerned about I got to hit two more homers to get to a number, or I got to get my average up fifteen more points to get to the number I wanted. Like all that gets gets thrown to the side, and it's like let's friggin' win ball games, man. And that's what it was. That's exactly what it was in, in Kansas City with the Monarchs. And gosh, I just I I missed that baseball so much. Yes, I you know I'm about an hour away from St. Paul, so I'm very familiar with their AAA team. And it was called the Final Stretch, and nobody really knew until right until it happened exactly what they were playing for. It, and what exactly the formula was, if it was if it was combined with the regular season record and how you did in the last 10 games, you know, nobody really made it clear, but at least there was a carrot being dangled out there. Yeah, and it, it's it's not much, right? You know, especially to AAA guys, like to a lot of those guys, 3500 bucks or 3200 bucks at the end of the season is not a whole lot, but it's something, right? And it and it makes you play for something else. It makes you play for not just yourself. And it was fantastic. And, and I played great for those 10 games. I, you know, was kind of coming to a lull a little bit at the end of that season. Um, and those those 10 games just, like, kicked me back off. And I started playing really well again. I just, I just, I really enjoy that type of baseball. And I'm grateful that I got to feel it again with Kansas City. You know, I'm wondering, Taylor, is it different for you, though, personally, because you got to see your dad play at the highest level, and at that level, you are going out to win all the time. I mean, that that's the big mm-hmm. deal out there, and minor leagues is a little different, so guys may not have that same kind of knowledge. Is that, Do you feel like your dad's experience kind of helped you to be more focused on winning than maybe some other guys are? Um. Yeah, maybe. I think it was that and just kind of how I was raised to play. And my dad always emphasized winning. Like, when everyone's playing to win and everyone's playing hard to win, you generally see better individual performances, right? Over the long haul of a minor league season, 140 games or whatever, 142 games, when you're not really playing for anything other than trying to get your numbers to a position to get moved up, it it creates a very selfish culture. And guys just unfortunate, and, and it, it, we all become a product of it, of you get so attached to your own numbers that, that the, the actual drive and, and desire to win that you felt in high school and you felt in college, it, it slowly just like slips away. You know, I was no, always wondering that. 
you know, following AAA ball for the last few years, it just seems as a fan, sometimes it's like the players are, it's almost robotic that they're, they're just going through their motions or doing their things. And it doesn't seem like there's a emphasis on winning the game as much as there is just getting your work in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's exactly how it is. Um, and at the AAA level, you, you open up an interesting dynamic in the clubhouse because you get a good mix of guys that have a lot of big league time who don't believe that they deserve to be in AAA, so they're salty and they're upset. Then you have like a bunch of young prospects that are in AAA, usually that are like so eager to get to the big leagues that like they're kind of just like in this overdrive mode while they're in AAA of just like this is just a stop, like I need to get out of here as quick as I can. Um, and then you have a, a group of guys that are triple-A veterans, if you will, that have, you know, have five, six, seven, eight years of triple-A time, and they're just, like, they're just there, you know, like, uh, like I said, they're, they're kind of there just trying to, to get theirs, so a triple-A clubhouse is, is interesting. I was lucky to be in some good triple-A clubhouses, but I've heard some horror stories about some very, very bad ones. Now, we're going to sidestep here for a minute, Taylor, because Kevin and I found out that not only are you quite the baseball player, but quite the golfer too. So, so tell us a little bit about golfing endeavors you got going on. Um, yeah, so I love golf. It's I'm extremely passionate about golf. Um, I am hoping to pursue a little like YouTube golf channel. Uh, I really like YouTube golf, and and I know. Every clubhouse that I've ever been in, you know, a majority of the guys all watch YouTube golf and everyone's addicted. And every off day, you know, we go out as a team and everyone plays and you have matches and it's just a blast. Um, so I kind of have this idea uh, brewing about doing a YouTube channel and incorporating some baseball players and, and letting the fans and, and things like that get to know players maybe like outside of a baseball game and hopefully get them to open their eyes up to players or get to experience players like, you know, when they let their guard down and they're on the golf course just hanging out. So I'm hoping to uh, have this YouTube channel that, you know, hopefully will kick off. So I'm, I'm looking to start that up this offseason. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Are you Are you like the top golfer on teams that you played on? <laughs> uh I I typically am am up there. Um I've played with some really good golfers, but I will say I'm I'm typically one of the better guys in the clubhouse, yes. Were you the best guy in the Monarchs? Yeah, I was. Uh I think Finnegan was kind of holding that crown. Um and then I I came out and I think they might, they may, you know, they may chirp me for that, but I, I think I came in and, and kind of took over that, the king, the king of the golf world in that clubhouse at least. <laughs> but we had some good players, man. There was some good, uh, Weigel could play a little bit. Um, Gavin could play a little bit. Rob, uh, Robson could play a little bit. Um, Hall, our, our pitching clo- coach slash, you know, he was rehabbing to get himself. There was, you know, there was a, there's some good golfers. There, there usually is, especially when you get to like the AAA level. You usually have 
at least four or five like really good golfers, and then everyone else golfs and has a blast, and, and it's awesome. But that seems like a good thing to do because mentally, because it kind of matches how baseball works. Is that you know a bunch of things you could be doing right, but your results aren't always right. So I yeah. would gather that mentally that really helps. Oh, I golf on the off day is an absolute must for me. Uh, you just get out there and you clear, you do something new, you do something different. It kind of helps me like reset my baseball swing almost because when you're just going in there every single day and, and you're grinding on your baseball swing, like you almost just get so, I do at least, I get so caught up in like just the minute details of my swing that it's it's nice to just like go out and play golf and free it up. Um, and I also just, I love the aspect of golf. I'm so, I've always been so envious of the aspect of golf of like, you have so much more in your control than you do in baseball, right? Like on a golf course, yes, there are things that can go wrong, but like you are in so much more control. The ball's not moving. Nobody's throwing it at you. You know, there's not people playing defense. Um, everyone on the golf course is playing in the same, in the same weather conditions, like, you have so much more control, and I, I love that about golf because in baseball, man, there, it, there's so much that's out of your control. It, it almost sometimes gets overwhelming and, and, and can really, like, hurt a lot of players. But on the golf course, I feel like I, you know, I kind of have the bull by the horns a little bit more. Well, let's hope nobody's throwing a golf ball at you. Uh, that, that's how you do that. <laughs> so, sometimes you get them hit at you, but usually never thrown. Now, besides uh, golf and, and uh, coming out with this YouTube channel, tell us a little bit about what, what else you're going to be having going on here in the off season. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm back home in Utah, um, which I love. I I fight with teammates all the time that it's the best state in the country. Uh, I love being in the mountains. Me and my wife go camping all the time. Um, I do a lot of lessons. Um, my dad actually is full time teaching lessons now. So I do, I'll come home for the off-season and I'll pick up like a day or two of full-time lessons. Uh, I really enjoy that. I love working with kids. I love trying to help kids be better and, and chase the same dream that I have and, and, you know, am. And we do camps. We'll always set up a couple camps throughout the off-season and, and just try to just try to grow the game of baseball in Utah and, and put Utah more on the map because... We have a lot of good players, and, and they're slowly start. They're slowly but surely starting to to draft more out of Utah. But when I was getting drafted, there was only a handful of us, and it was few and few and far between in Utah. So it's on the map now. I think we're we're starting. Our numbers of draft guys are getting are creeping up there every year, which excites me. I love that um, because we have we do we really have good good baseball here, and and we kind of get overlooked because it snows and and this that and the other, but. So I love I love doing everything that I can to to help baseball grow in Utah. You know, uh, for about three or four years, it seemed like the Brewers were taking a bunch of guys out of the University of Utah because um, they they have quite the baseball program out there. So I, I gather that's really helping to blossom in the state by the college team doing so well. Yeah, absolutely. And BYU's gotten some guys drafted. We've had some high school guys drafted. The Brewers actually grabbed one of my really good friends, Peyton Henry, out of high school. And, you know, he's had a successful playing career so far. Uh, more to come. And, yeah, it, I mean, that all helps. Everything helps. Uh, 
so if you're in Utah now, you're gonna we're gonna throw you into Kevin and my our, our wheelhouse here. So are we hockey fans as well? <laughs> you know, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a hockey fan. I I really like it. I really enjoy it, and like especially going to a hockey game live is fantastic. It might be the best sport to watch. Like I really enjoy watching golf, but you know a lot of people would fight me on that. But hockey is freaking electric. Like going to an NHL hockey game, or even you know we have a minor league team in in Salt Lake, the Grizzlies, and those games are always a blast. Hockey is is very exciting, and it's fast paced and it's fun to watch. But I, I can't call myself a fan because I, I couldn't even tell you who my team is. Maybe if I maybe if I had played in Denver, I'd I'd claim the Avalanche. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, rating hockey the best sport just made you, uh, Kevin, and my favorite baseball player. Just, just so you know, right now. So, yeah, yeah, that, it is, that it one is major a point. Fantastic sport to watch. It is very fun. Uh, a lot of cool stuff to do outdoors in Utah, I bet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Camping, fishing. You know, we take the razor up in the mountains, and the golf is actually, believe it or not, fantastic. We get shut down for the winter, um, unfortunately. But, like, southern Utah, down in St. George, you can play all year round. And our golf is, is sneaky, very, very good in Utah. So plenty of stuff to do here. Do you get out camping and stuff as well, even in the winter? Uh, me and my wife push the limits a little bit. I'd say more so than most. We'll uh, we'll camp like mm, sometimes up until like the end of November, um, and it gets pretty cold. We'll we have some heat equipment in in our tent that uh, does pretty well. So we'll push the limits more than most. We're usually like the only ones out there at that time of the year, but it's kind of a uh, it's kind of exciting, you know. Sometimes you wake up and there's snow on the ground, like a fresh blanket of snow, and there's really just not not much like that. Start a fire, get warmed back up, cook some breakfast. Okay, so I need your official rating on how you would see a person like this. Okay, so I came across this guy who has a tent. I, I mean, and I'm not kidding, like a three-bedroom tent, okay, or two, okay. two-bedroom tent. Not a living room, air conditioning. I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, it's like ridiculous. Okay. Now it's not. So tell me, is this like, would you consider that person a, a serious camper whatsoever? Is that just a guy who took his home out on the road and decided to stay <laughs> He's got air conditioning in this thing? Yeah, yes, yes, it does. I, it think, air I, think, I think I would call that glamping maybe which if you've not heard if you're unfamiliar with the term it's glamorous camping and you you <laughs> glamping falls in the term of in the in the space of like uh taking a trailer out there i think but i mean at all it's hard to say if he's roughing it in a in an actual tent then i mean he's still doing it right for my That's wedding awful. anniversary this year my wife and I, oh, my wife lined this all up. We stayed in a yurt. Okay. In the middle of nowhere. Where was that at? And it was in Minnesota, but it was like in an okay. isolated area. You know, these people do like an Airbnb with it, and she rented it out, and I had never heard of it. She didn't even tell me where we were going until we got there. 
They're like, um, okay, I guess we're staying in a plastic dome with air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. But, and they had a hot tub, too. Those. So. Yeah, that's fantastic. We have some of those in Utah, and that's some that's some sweet uh, ways to spend some nights right there. I actually, I really liked how you said Minnesota, too. I hadn't, like, picked up on your accent a whole lot during this phone call until you said Minnesota. <laughs> It's a long timer from Minnesota there. Too. Yeah, native Minnesotan. So long suffering. <laughs> Especially when it comes to sports. Well, yeah, I believe you. Well, Taylor, it was terrific having you on the show. And so, so since you're a first time guest, uh, we always give our first time guests the opportunity to give us a final thought. So, whatever you'd like to talk about, the floor is yours. Um, I think, you know, I actually had a, a, a really cool story to finish that I wanted to share about Hartford. Um, so I was actually, when I was playing in Hartford with the Yard Goats, uh, we were coming up on, not quite to the All-Star break yet, but I was, at the time I was leading the league in home runs in the Eastern League, uh, and I had a fantastic experience that I will never ever forget. Um, I was we were just getting ready for a game at home in Hartford, and and my manager came in and he's he's like, "Snide, there's a there's a guy outside in the dugout that wants to meet with you." And I was just like, "Okay, yeah, I don't know who this is, but sure, I'll run out there." So I went out there, and I wish I had the guy's name. Uh oh, got a smoke alarm going off. I wish I had the guy's name, but he he I walk out to the dugout, and he's like. Hey man, he introduced himself. I'm I'm bummed that I don't remember his name, but he's like, Hey, I just I have something I want to share with you and I'm like, Okay, yeah, what do you got? And he said, So I I've been an uh an analyst, I guess, doing these interviews for a lot of years and he said it was back in uh nineteen eighty six and I he said I got lined up with my first big interview and I was so nervous and he was telling the story and you know, I was locked in, he was doing a good job. Like, dude, I was so nervous. I was thinking about it. I stayed up all night the night before, and I was thinking about it because I was interviewing the biggest guy in the league at the time. I was, I was interviewing uh, Corey Snyder. Do you know that name? And I laughed, and he was, he was just like, dude, I was, I was worried sick about this interview. He was such a big deal. And he said, I, I, I was interviewing though because he was leading the Eastern League in home runs. And he said, so I would love to interview this year's Eastern League leader in home runs, his son, you know, and it was it was like almost to two days, uh, I want to say, what was that, I don't know, 20-something, 30-something years, whatever it was, years later, almost to the day um, that he sat and had his first big interview, and it, it was my dad for leading the league in, in, in home runs, and, and so then he got to interview me fast forward for doing the same thing years later. Man, when he told me that, every hair on my body stood up, uh, it was just, it was a very, very cool experience and one that, that I will never forget. And I called my dad right after and the the guy ended up getting my dad on the phone for an interview and we did an article about it. Um, but that is, that's probably one of my favorite baseball memories um, and one that I'll hold on forever. So that, that little story is my last thought. Nice. That is a fantastic story. Taylor Snyder, thanks for joining Kevin and I this week. Yeah, yeah thanks I appreciate for doing you guys having me on. Absolutely. 
Well, Kevin, great having uh, Taylor Snyder on there. And, uh, man, you know, what, what a great series he had. And, and uh, sounds like he's got a lot of stuff going on for the future. Yeah, what a, what a well-spoken guy. A lot, of, a lot of neat stories with him. And it was an um, absolute pleasure to have him on the show with us. Absolutely. That story about him and his dad for that news interview was, was amazing. That was just an amazing story. Well, I'm just wondering, like, the, the guy doing the interview, he's probably thinking, oh, my, how the years have gone by. But you know what? That <laughs> like obviously, obviously that writer had, has got something going, or writer or interview had something going pretty good that he's around that long, too, when you think about it. Yeah. Had quite the career there, for sure. Well, Kevin and I will begin our look back on the 2023 season next week, starting with the Gary South Shore Railcast and Ryan Zimmerman. So today we're just going to give a couple of notes that have been going on around the league and close out with our shout-outs for the week. Um, and, and we'll give a little dap to our, our buddies out there in the Frontier League. Um, but we want to start, Kevin, kind of a surprising move today. Logan Watkins let go by the Cleveland Railroaders. He will not return as their manager next year. You know, very surprising move, I thought. I thought he, you know, he, he didn't get the team to the championship series, but they were competitive. They found a way to get into the playoffs in both his full years as manager. But as he kind of insinuated in his remark to us um, that, you know, it's new ownership and sometimes ownership, want they want to start fresh. They don't want to start with their own people. So, you know, Logan was always good to us, good baseball man. He's been involved with independent baseball for many, many years. So I, you know, hope we hope it's just goodbye for now, and hopefully we'll see Logan Watkins in the league in some shape or manner. Yeah, I have to say, whenever a guy reaches out and specifically says thank you to the two of us, that's that's kind of a shocker to us that that would go on. And so I appreciate Logan. You know, you, you I, we love to have, talking to you on the show, and um, you know, sometimes Kevin, I think that expectations can also. Uh, sway ownership toward a certain point of view. And, and there were high expectations on Cleveland this season. I was one of those guys who expected huge things out of them this year. And when those expectations aren't reached, unfortunately, the manager winds up taking the fall for it. But, you know, I, I think to myself, hey, it's still a guy that got to go out there and pitch. And, you know, I look at this pitching staff and thought they kind of let him down this year. He won't say that because Logan Watkins is a pretty stand-up guy. But, um, you know, I, I you can't blame the manager when guys just aren't performing for you sometimes. That's where I felt the downfall was on this railroaders club too, was you just didn't really have a, you didn't really have a great one, two, three guys in your starting rotation that you really need to have in this league. If you're going to be a championship contender, you know, they, I mean, <laughs> No one, no one could hit them all better than this ball club did, but it just it was just so hard to get those twenty seven outs, and I just felt like that was that was what turned this team from a great team to a playoff, just a playoff team. The other big news starting on Thursday, Kevin and I recording this on Tuesday, um, is that the Baseball Champions League will get underway with the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks representing the American Association in this. So people know out there, and, and Kevin and I did not talk about this. I think maybe we did talk about it a little bit on the show at the All-Star break, but 
Um, we were told very early on that this was not going to just be Red Hawks players. It was kind of an opportunity for the league to showcase a lot of the talent here, and we're seeing that. Roy Morales and Chris Herman are the catchers from Milwaukee and Kansas City. Ashton Godot, who had an incredible playoff run for Kansas City, joins that pitching staff as well. Same with Christian Young from Milwaukee. It's Max Murphy, a guy who was competing to be MVP again this season after having a monster year last year. So it's a it's a team built on, um, you know, kind of an all-star collection of players, but it uh, doesn't sound like everybody's happy about that choice is there, Kevin. Like you said, you and I knew about this. I, even when this was announced, I was the one right away saying, I don't think you can make this work with just guys from Fargo-Moorhead because, you know, this – for a lot of these guys, playing baseball isn't the money-making occupation. A lot of these guys head home right after the year and start regular jobs. I mean, some might even still be finishing college courses. So, you know, the, some are family guys that want to get back to their families. So it makes it a little bit difficult to really send just one team there. So, And I just think that getting these guys from throughout the league is just going to make the team stronger. And we don't know. I guess I don't really examine the other team's rosters. I'm assuming that they're all doing the same too. So I just think you get a better better representation of your league. And, you know, and, and look at the roster, I see a guy like Charlie Hastings. I mean, Charlie got passed over for the All-Star team, and I don't think he did he get reliever of the year? I do not remember that. I or was, was that even a? I'm, I'm going to look that up. It may not have been but, a thing. Well, who was the who was the who was the reliever on the the All Star team that the league chose? Oh the, uh, boy! You know the the end of season. I'm going to look it up while you're talking about. It, I'm going to look maybe, that up for us. Maybe it was, but I just feel like for a guy like Charlie Heath, it's a. Uh, prime opportunity for him to, well, you know, he gets the recognition of being on the team and he gets a chance to show his thing at a, on an international level. Um, Looking at the rest of the roster here, Max Murphy didn't get a chance to play in the playoffs this year. He's a guy that's represented this league very well for so many years. He gets a chance to, to play in this situation. But... They're just fans that they they just don't get it that you know it's not going to just be the Fargo Moorhead Redhawks, and even more so last night the executive director of the American Association chimed in, you know, just to kind of hit on his points um, on his post last night. Says the American Association is probably part of it. Every team and every player was offered the opportunity to be considered for the roster. Even obviously, a lot of Fargo-Moorhead players. Next year, will be a lot of Kansas City players. But as he said, players have lives in the offseason, and participating in this events like this don't work for everybody. And then he went on, let's find this other comment here that um, I thought it was pretty... Pretty outspoken, if you ask me, but, you know, something that I believe he was spot on with. Okay. 
Well, anyways, he, uh, like Kevin Lee, be prepared for this one. Uh, he goes, bottom line, folks, lots of players just can't pull this off, reality, but it's also a chance for to put up some darn good American Association players up against other international talent in a unique competitive atmosphere. It's not feasible to bring a Kansas City club here this year, just like it wouldn't have been feasible to bring Fargo-Moorhead last year if it had happened. Enjoy it for what it is or move on to football, but these players and coaches are making a commitment to be here and compete and should be celebrated for it. Rag on us in the league all you want, but let the players and coaches do their thing. I say amen to that. Only thing I have a disagreement on is that you said football, and I think you meant to say hockey. But, you know, it'll be an enjoyable four days of baseball for people that want to see their favorite American Association players play on an international stage. So it should be fun. And Josh Buckholz with the SmackDown. I like that there. So No doubt about it. And it wasn't even directed at me. <laughs> wow. Uh, we should mention one other piece of news because the series ended and didn't go five, so we didn't get a chance to talk about this directly on the show as well uh, last week. But uh, uh, we named Brian Torres as the player of the year from the Milwaukee Milkmen. Uh, Chris Herman named by the league as the – well, okay, we named MVP. They, I think they called him the player of the year or batter of the year or something like that. We were the MVP. And uh, tomato, tomato. Brian just – yeah, Brian just had a phenomenal year for Milwaukee, well-deserving of the award for sure. And uh, we're glad to see he finally got that chance to get back to Philly and ball. It seemed like no reason why he shouldn't have been there a long time ago, but glad he got back. You know, and I'll, I'll defend our pick in this. Chris Herman had an incredible season. Where I'm, Neither one of us are going to deny that. But... He also was in a lineup where he had a lot of good batters around him where he probably got to see some pretty good pitches, whereas I just felt like Brian Torres more so. He was the igniter for that offense. If if you take Herman out of the Kansas City offense, I say that offense still clicks away pretty good. But you take Torres out of the Milwaukee lineup, and I don't fear that lineup so much anymore. Well, I got to tell you, Kevin, you know, the the more I was diving into his stats, writing about the, the MVP selection, the less I was thinking to myself, well, we kind of stretched on this. I mean, led the league in batting, was first in run scored, first in stolen base, and broke the record by a huge mark. Still had 11 homers for a guy hitting leadoff and playing second base. That's pretty good. Still fifth in total bases for a guy who only had 11 home runs. Hey, third in walks. His on-base percentage led the American Association. I thought, well, I mean, I think everybody looks at the gaudy home run numbers or whatever and thinks that that should be your choice. But I think a guy who ignites his team, as you said, and shatters a record um, in the way that he did deserves consideration, serious consideration. And I don't really have any apologies because I thought Brian really proved that he was the best player in the league last year. And I would say make that same case for the previous year as well. I mean, he's, he's quite a player. But, Rob, uh, according to Brandon Hahn on Twitter, we, we just hate everything about Kansas City, and that's probably factored into our decision that we're just um, 
you know, we're just uh, ultimate Kansas City haters. So, you know, are, are, uh, that, are we making that? that a, are we talking more about that later on as well, or are we are we commenting? On oh that yeah, right yeah, now? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to return oh, to that. Okay. Or, okay. <laughs> I, could, I, I was just going to say is that so so for fans that may not know about there, we we we, we took a little criticism from a, a Kansas City guy for believing that we were underselling or diminishing in some way the Kansas City championship. I, I just want to point out for, out there that at the All Star break, I had Kansas City making it to the championship, and I believe and not believe it, it was true that I had Kansas City beating Sioux Falls in two games, and I had Kansas City beating Sioux City in three games, and I had Kansas City beating Chicago in four games. So I don't really think I diminished Kansas City in any way and their chances of winning the championship, since considering I had them winning the championship. So uh, I'm not sure what he's talking about, Kevin. Well, he felt like we didn't give them enough credit. I don't know okay, what fine. he wants. I don't know if we're supposed to throw a parade for him or give him some free stuff or not sure what it is. But I know um, I make point of uh, Kansas City was a club that was meant to win. You even heard Taylor yeah. Snyder say it. When, when, he came on, when he came on that team, that was a very veteran-laden team that was – Obviously, set up to win, not set up as in the, the it was a predetermined, but it was a team that was groomed to win the championship. So I yeah. guess I, I guess I really wasn't that wild when it happened because I just thought, well, well, yeah. I you know, look at look at who Calva Pietra brought in. Obviously, that was a team meant to win a championship. You know, twenty seven years we, ago. Let's say 27 years ago, Kevin, the Yankees won four World Series in a row. I don't think in 1999 on their third championship season, the, the, the accolades of how amazing it was that the team won the championship were the same as the first year. <laughs> you got, kind of got used to the idea they were going to win. I think for us, personally, it's Joe Calvo-Pietra. You know, of course they're going to win. <laughs> no, I mean, this, it's, no disrespect to any other manager, but I – Three championships in five years. I, I think we kind of expect when he gets to the playoffs that good things are going to happen for the team. So, well, as everyone knows, I'm a St. Paul Saints fan since day one. They won the championships in 1993, 1995, and 1996. Three out of the first four years, they were the largest market in the league. Well, one can say Winnipeg was population size a bigger market, but St. Paul was the place to be. There wasn't a lot of people going around patting Marty Scott and Mike Vec and the rest of the Saints ownership on the back for for the uh, this miracle championship that they won. It, you know, it was obvious St. Paul was the big market. They're the ones drawing the big fa- big numbers at the gate. That's who the players wanted. To, that's where the players wanted to go play. You know, it's a lot to me. I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how good your manager is. It's a lot easier to sell a player on coming to play for a team that is going to be in a nicer area to live. 
look at Taylor said yeah. Kansas City was a draw for him to go there and play. Right. Just like St. Paul was for Saints players. It's to me it's you know, me and other people have said that, you know, teams like Kansas City and Chicago, they should be playing for that championship every year because all the good players in the Chicago area, granted, yes, there is Gary, there is Milwaukee a little bit to the north, there is King County a little bit all the ways, but, you know, Rosemont's just right on the outer border of Chicago. A lot, all the good players in the Chicago area should want to go play for the Chicago Dogs, and Kansas City's a big market. It's a it's a hotbed for baseball, and I think it's a draw for players. And every year, Kansas City should be in the mix just because that that's somewhere where guys want to go play. And until this year, where hey, let's look at it. A total of six guys were signed to MLB organizations from the American Association. In the past, we know. Kansas City had the reputation where a lot of guys were signed from the T-Bones back in 2019 until the name changed. A lot of guys got signed from the Monarchs. So, but, you know, the players getting signed, we, we, we can talk on a whole another show about that. But, you know, to me, a bigger market like Kansas City, they should be in that championship mix every year. And, I don't know what's going wrong down there attendance-wise. I think it's um, a little embarrassing when at times you're getting outdrawn by Sioux City, but I don't know if it's the management not promoting the team enough or the people just not rallying around the Monarchs or what it is. But but I'm just going to say Kansas City is a destination place, and no one's going to change my mind on that. Absolutely. And, and again, you have a manager who wins, a manager who knows how to get guys back into affiliate ball. There's a lot to like about what goes on in Kansas City. And so when they when they win the title, I mean, I'm going to tell you truthfully, if Chicago would have won the championship, I wouldn't have been stunned by that either. Again, I'll, I'll no. own up to the fact that I had them finishing last. But you know what? It's a great organization with a manager with a proven tracker. I wouldn't have been stunned if they were the championship team. and wouldn't have been like, oh, my God, I can't believe Chicago won. You know, so uh, I think there needs to be some understanding about the fact that sometimes when a team wins, you go, yep, <laughs> that's what I was looking for. So, okay. so Well, he was go. also getting on me about conspiracy theories with the mountain. That, that's exactly what it was, a conspiracy theory. I never said anything was yeah, gospel about... I just threw it out there. I didn't say there was truth to it, but, you know, to a baseball observer, they got to be wondering when two teams that really walk guys go somewhere and all of a sudden they can't throw the ball over the plate. It's just, it's it's weird. I'm not saying it was the mound, but it just seems like, well, what is it? Were they nervous, too nervous perhaps, not ready for the, the stage that they're on? I don't know, but... If you've listened to this show for more than five minutes, okay, and if you can go back with Kevin and I for seven years now, I think you and I have thrown out a lot of conjecture about some things, some things we had good information on that we were making conjecture on, okay, some things that we were just speculating, you know, this is kind of odd, and here could be one possibility for that. 
That wasn't to say Kansas City's doing anything wrong in any way, because they, they weren't. I mean, I, it's, it is kind of an oddity, and you're throwing out a particular suggestion about that. But, uh, you know, this is something we've done for seven years. So if you're kind of new to the bandwagon about the show, understand that's part of what we do. So there it is. Well, yeah, I remember 2017, half of Winnipeg wanted to hang yeah. up from a tree after our after the championship series ended. Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. And we weren't but afraid you know to what? say exactly what everybody went, knew was true. So somehow, somehow the mix of Rob and I have worked for this many years. And you know what, people? We're not going to change. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, yeah, I do have another story for you. Speaking of Chicago, late on me, late on me. Well, Tanner Hoop told you know I was driving home from a hockey game on Saturday night, listening to the Minnesota Gopher football team implode, and our colleague Tanner Hoops does the scoreboard and pre and post games for the Learfield Sports for Gopher football. Well, there was a touchdown uh, that won the game for Northwestern. And uh, the guy that caught the ball in the end zone's last name was Mangieri. Tanner Hoops told me it was Luke Mangieri's brother that got the game-winning touchdown for Northwestern on Saturday night. Well, what about that? Man, see, Tanner, the connections in American Association just never end. (laughs) There you go. So, fantastic. Kevin, quickly, you know, let's, I think throw out a couple. Of I think it's kind of ahead, neat too. You know, we're talking about our colleagues, and it's like everybody that was in our immediate circle is just like gone on for baseball. Tanner's now back doing his thing with football, and I got to mention um the the dream team down doing the Grandview Zebras game. Brad Allred with Dan Vaughn doing color for Grandview Zebra football down in Texas. It, I went back and listened to a little bit of that game. It was it was neat hearing two good friends and um, two really good broadcasters calling in high school football. I'd have to say Grandview's pretty blessed. Absolutely. I agree with you. Uh, quickly, I want to mention Kevin was absolutely right. Charlie Hasty was selected as the uh, relief pitcher for, on the 2023 postseason all-star team by the American Association. Well-deserved there. Uh, quickly going around the other leagues, uh, in the Frontier League, it was Quebec winning in, in Game 5, an exciting contest series. I, I should say exciting series, but Game 5 wasn't much of a game as they, they blew that game open early and wound up coming out with a championship. But the Frontier League Championship Series, Kevin, drew 17,066 fans in five games. So 3,600 fans per game, that, that's a pretty big deal at this time of year. That's two pretty good markets with Quebec and Evansville. I mean, Evansville obviously is not that huge of a town, but just to bring in the numbers they did, and you know, I think the deal with Quebec is, is there's just not a lot of baseball up there. You don't have a major league team. Heck, you don't even have a Triple A team. So, you know, the team in that area of Canada is obviously must be Quebec. So, but. Yeah, they're raking in the big numbers there. So, good on them. In the Atlantic League, their championship series begins tonight, as Kevin and I are talking. As a matter of fact, going on right now, 
Uh, it will be Lan the Lancaster Barnstormers taking on the Gastonia Hunty Honey Hunters, which I guess who had enough money, Kevin, to uh, field a team for the championship series there this year. Uh, I'm going to see if could we Hopefully have... Hopefully uh, everybody on the staff gets paid. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. As Kevin and I are talking, Lancaster with a 3-2 to two lead. Is this game over with? It might, it's even over with. Okay, so Lancaster wins game one of the series 3-2. to two. Uh, Anybody on the American Association here that we that we know? Let's take a look here real quick and see if we have any... Any anybody that you and I know here, talk amongst yourself, fans. While I'm looking this up here, uh, well, I, I, I just blog this with a pretty funny story. Um, Please lay it on me. Back in oh, back in 1999, the legend has it that I forget who was managing the Schomburg Flyers at the time. It might have been Ron Kittle. I'm not sure on that, but the marching orders. The Flyers had made it to the playoffs, and generally the playoffs in the Northern League were not much of a money-making venture. Well, the the legend, okay, people, don't quote me on this. Don't make a baker fuffle. I'm just telling you a story that I heard 20-some years ago. The baker fuffle is that apparently Kittle was under marching orders to, hey, Here's my credit card. Get these guys as drunk as you can and hung over so they can't play worth it darn the next two nights so that we they can end the series with Fargo-Moorhead as fast as they can and get out of the playoffs, and then I don't have to take a loss on hosting any more games. Which, it wouldn't be surprising. It was Rich Ehrenreich that, if you recall, he was the same guy behind the Fiasco, the Lake County Fielders, um, back around 2010, 11, 13, whenever that was. But that's a legend. That's the story that went around was that they didn't want to lose a bunch of money in the playoffs, so the orders were to get the players really drunk so that um, they didn't perform well and they proceeded to get swept by Fargo-Moorhead. Oh, wow. <laughs> So uh, a few uh, American Association names out there, Kevin, as I'm looking this over. So Zach Westcott, which I believe played for Lincoln, started tonight for Gastonia. He got a no decision. He gave up two unearned runs uh, in the game there. Uh, Alexis Almeida played last year for Kansas City as their catcher was on uh, Gastonia here tonight, too. De La Rosa, I believe, was a Gary South Shore Railcat guy, if I am correct on that. Let me see what the first name is here. If it shows on here, uh, Eric De La Rosa. No, that was not him. They had a different guy, De La Rosa, last year. But uh, I think so. We have a little bit of American Association connection out there. So, you're helping teams win no matter what the league is. This name kind of jumped out at me though, Kevin, because isn't? Uh, let me see if I'm looking this here. Isn't uh, Trace Trace Lohr? Is that the way that said L O E H R? Wasn't he a Minnesota Twin guy? I don't believe so. I think maybe you're thinking of Kyle Loesch, which was from a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe that was it. Okay, okay. I was just kind of curious if that's where he came from. Wilson Garcia, though, I believe played for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes. He was also on Lancaster here tonight. So, so having those connections out there. Well, Kevin, let's uh, let's take out some shout outs this week. Who we who we closing the show about? Um, I'm gonna. 
I'm going to venture back to Twitter land. And my shout out is to at AA baseball fan one who said about you and I this week in the association hates the monarchs because they fired their buddy Dan Vaughn. So of course they're not going to give them credit. Whoever you are, AA baseball fan, obviously you know some stuff. Obviously, maybe you're even an insider. I'm Kevin Luco. My co-host is Rob Paneer. We have names. We stand out. We, when we make an opinion, we stand by our opinion. We don't hide behind a moniker. So a little food for thought, thought there. It's really easy to make um, pointed opinions when you can't even, can't even display your real name. So I take your opinion as nothing as you decided to hide behind a moniker. So gutless. But you got a shout out, so I, I, there you go, kid. <laughs> I have to say though too, Kevin, I don't think that in the history of you and I have been involved in this show and American Association of Baseball, I don't think there's a single player, owner, general manager, manager, fan, ticket salesperson, whatever organization that I could say I hated in any way. I, I love this league. Um, this, I, and as I, the point that I made out there when this comment was made is that, yeah, do I, am I uh, sad that my buddy Dan Vaughn was not the Kansas City Monarchs guy? Yeah. Did I think the way that went down was wrong? Yeah. But this is baseball, and you and I get how many guys have we loved in the American Association who wound up being released or fired or whatever? But you know what? We understand. That's the way sports work. So um, we don't like it, but that's the way sports work. There's a there roster of that. 22 to 24 guys on Kansas City Monarchs that had absolutely nothing to do with Dan Vaughn being let go. So I just right. find the person's statement to be just downright asinine. So right. like I said, come up behind your moniker if you, if you want to add me about it. If you don't, if you don't, then I just I don't have any time for your opinion. Anybody can on top. come up with a come up with a moniker and have strong opinions. That's gutless. Exactly. And on top of that, go down and spend five minutes talking to John West about the two of us, and he will tell you Kevin and Rob love Kansas City Monarchs baseball and and uh, and have nothing against the organization whatsoever that, you know, players on the field, we love, we hope that there would be more fans out there and wish that that would wind up being the case. And you know, something too is, is that I have nothing against Carter either. You know, I know Carter a long time. Um, and, uh, he got shafted in a job at one point by a guy that I, again, another guy that I like, but I, I know a, a, a broadcaster that Kevin did not find particularly entertaining to listen to and Carter got kind of shafted out of that job you know so um when I see any broadcaster that's let go I don't like any of that and and I and I, whether I like another broadcaster or not I I still don't want to see the previous one go because I like all these guys I, I'm around them all the time I talk to them so many of these guys for for 10 years now 
So uh, any loss to me is a bad one, especially in an area where you and I have the most amount of contact with, which is the broadcasters. So, you know, when any of those guys go, I, I don't like it. So that's my part of that, Kevin. You know, every every one of them, it's, it's they're just – I think sometimes with these fans that they don't get to see the broadcasters like we do. It's just a name. Right. And it's just so easy to say – well, I don't like Jack Michaels because he sounds too much like um, like Bob Euchre's stick. That's great. That's an opinion. But I like Jack Michaels because he's a he's a downright decent human being and an absolute yeah. pleasure to be around. But you know what? The fans don't get to see that. Only you and I and other insiders get to see that. Right. Right. And every one of these guys I've come to love. I, Ryan Zimmerman is a terrific guy in Gary Southshore. We'll get to talk to him next week. Every time I've ever had a chance to talk with Ryan, I've loved it. Been the most gracious guy to me when I've come to Gary to, to, to watch games. And whenever I reached out to him for anything, he's been fantastic about talking with us and, and things. A phenomenal guy. Tom Wynn, great guy in Milwaukee. We love him greatly. Brad Allred is one of our favorite guests to have on here. It's always entertaining and has great stories to share with us. Jack is one of my most favorite human beings on earth, you know, and, and same with Dan. Um, th- these are guys that, that I could go listen to all the time, and I do. You know, I, I, I know you went out on the road for how many games did you see in person this season? I believe 19 was a grand total for someone that's in the middle of nowhere. And and I was looking at it. I believe that there were 594 or 95 games played in the American Association this season. I bet between the two of us, we probably saw 1,000 games. I probably watched 530 or 540 games this year. <laughs> and that's just, if you saw my, my Den area, that's probably how many games I watched. And I listen to everyone. You know, Sam Brave, Alan, go ahead. Uh, Carter's not my favorite broadcaster listener. I'm just going to be brutally honest with that. I just I'm not into his style. But what I will say for Carter is that it stung because he took he got the job that was open because Dan Vaughn was let go. But I give Carter a ton of credit for. He made a big move. Yeah. I mean, him and his wife both left multiple jobs in Sioux Falls to go down to Kansas City and start again. So I give Carter all the credit and all the respect in the world for doing that. But Dan Vaughn, Dan Vaughn is like, Dan's like a brother to me. So obviously it's going to sting. And when Dan was like, oh, it stung me quite a bit. I mean, heck, Dan's mom even refers to me as son. That's how close Dan and I are. So sorry if there's a little bitterness, but, you know, obviously when something happens to someone in your family, you're going to feel it. And sometimes there's going to be a lingering bitterness. So Exactly. Take that, Brandon Hahn. That, again, that doesn't have anything to do with Carter Woodiel or the Kansas City Monarch team or Joe Calpa Pietra or John West or any of the other coaches out there. All those guys we think are phenomenal. Um, 
Joe, to me, is, uh, I, I could say, the, the five greatest independent managers of all time. Uh, man, I'm leaning at Joe Calcapietra right now is the best of them. That's pretty tall order when you're talking about Doug Simonick, Butch Hobson, George Samus, and uh, who's my fifth? Um, it's escaping me at the moment. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, there's a, there's a very impressive list out there. But a guy who's been to championship series 13 times in the last 15 years or something crazy like that, um, that might be the best manager we'll ever see in independent baseball. So I don't have any lack of respect for him or his team. So that's just the real real deal. You know, he's an interesting he? character because because he seems so stoic. Yeah. But I think of two examples, you know, like in 2019 when he won game number 1,000 in St. Paul and damned in what I think is one of the most incredible broadcasting jobs ever for what he was working with raced down the steps at CHS Field to get an interview with Joe between games. And, I mean, Joe was crying. I mean, that's how much it meant to him that he was able to win 1,000 games. And then two years later, I can just remember when we finally got a chance to see him on the field after the Monarchs won in, there was just like this kid-like excitement to him. And it just it really stunned me because I just always just seen – Seems so stoic and professional, but yeah. So you know, underneath that um, business like um, exterior, there's a there's still a pretty excitable young man in there. And, and piggybacking off that point too, Kevin, it was the next day when they had the celebration uh, just down the road there in the uh, middle of that mall area that he was even more animated. <laughs> And we were like, wow. I mean, it was like a side of Joe I'd never seen. And I spent a lot of time talking to him because him and I did a podcast show for a little over a year. So I got a lot of opportunity to talk to him. And he was always very straightforward and, you know, never really had much fluctuation to his voice about the way he answered stuff. But, boy, for those two days, I was like, wow, that's Joe Calvapiece. <laughs> All right. So I was super I was disappointed to see that Kansas City did not have any sort of celebration this year, but, you know, I, I get it. Players may have been bolting right after, right away the next morning, but I know that was the case in 21, and they still brought the trophy out to Legends and had a, had a little bit of a ceremony, but um, nothing this year. Pretty surprising. Let's see, who is my shout-out for today, Kevin? How about uh... – you may have forgot because I mean we've just kind of rambled on with after mine. <laughs> it, it could be. You know what? D just for fun, my, my shout out for today is to Kevin Luco because uh, um, you know I not only appreciate you coming on here with me each week and but uh, willing to uh, to go battle for the show. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. So people are going to put down the show. Kevin Luco out there, defender of Twitter baseball. That's what I'm talking about. So, I am like I'm like the enforcer on a hockey team, Rob. <laughs> you mess with my guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come at you. I'm liking it. 
Well, we appreciate you joining us here tonight. We thank once again Taylor Snyder for coming on here with us, and uh, we hope for continued success for him. We're looking forward to that golf channel. Uh, I'm not a big golf guy, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, Kevin, when it comes out, I'm going to go watch. Like, we got to check, check it out. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's very well-spoken. I think this is something that could go very good for him. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, him and his dad doing coaching lessons and camps out there. So if you were in uh, the area where Taylor lives at, and I wish I had got him to say where that was exactly, because that would probably be good information for us to know. I'm going to see if they have a uh, – uh, you know what? I'm going to find out from Taylor where he's at, and then sometime we're going to post something out there so fans can learn if you're in his area where you can go out and learn, uh, you know, from him and his dad, because that'd probably be pretty cool, I, I would say. So, um, so that's, we're appreciative of Taylor Snyder joining us tonight. Once again, uh, Ryan Zimmerman will join us next week, talk to Gary Southshore, Railcats baseball, um, see what's going on with Ryan and what he's got happening this offseason as well, and find out what, uh, what he expects from the Railcats for 2024. Because Kevin, man, before just kind of as a preview for that, it could be some serious changes to that Railcats team for next year as we're looking ahead. It could be, you know, um, a lot of us thought that if a team was going to be making a move, we thought the new ownership of the Railcats would be with Lamar Rogers. But as of now, I'm, I haven't heard anything about his job being in any sort of jeopardy. So hopefully for Lamar that he gets a, Third year and um, to make some moves and get the get the Railcats back on the tracks. And I should say, now that I've had a chance to let my memory work for more than nine seconds, that he did tell us he was in the Utah area there. So um, Taylor, that is. So um, yeah, camps in Utah, lessons out there. Okay, so see, my brain does function at some point, Kevin, and so Taylor's out there. Um, having uh, camps that are going on. And in two days will be his birthday. I wish I hadn't thought about that then, too. We just wish him happy birthday early. So we'll say that now. It doesn't have the same effect that we didn't mention it during the show. But, you know, what can we do? We have an early birthday present for us. And add one more thing. Um, over time, all with the Baseball Champions League, uh, for those that have not seen yet, the team that will be playing as Fargo-Moorhead will be playing Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. against Grandma. Make your own jokes there. Uh, at 9 p.m. on Friday night against Yucatan, and then Saturday at 2 p.m. versus something called Barranquilla. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And if they make it to the championship, that will be on Sunday at 7 p.m., all games will be available on American Association Baseball TV, so if fans need a, another dose of American Association Baseball, that's where you can go find it. And I will be telling them, I'll, I'll be checking out some of this action. I don't know if I'll be watching every second, but uh, I will definitely be seeing how the, how the teams do because you know, a lot of guys on that, Kevin, that we've come to know personally over the years and a lot of guys we love watching play. Um, I'm interested to see how the youngster Colton Davis does there. You and I have got talked to Alex DeBoard on quite a number of occasions. A phenomenal guy we like very much. Kevin McGovern's always a guy that we've appreciated his candor with us and um, his his ability or desire to talk to us at, at point. And Max Murphy, guy we've followed like you talked about for, what have we on now, season six or 2018 seven? was when he broke in with the Saints, so... 
Yeah, so yeah, that's so love following these guys all this time. So we're pretty excited at what they're going to be doing out there. And it'll be fun to see what this is going to be like because, um, you know, it, when you have a championship kind of tournament like this and teams are playing for pride of their league, pride of their country kind of thing, I think that adds a, a little bit of entertainment out there. So I think that should be fun. So, and, you know, fantastic. And, uh, and there's not much to fear about the uh, – you know, adding a lot of guys to the team. It's not like hockey where you got to develop um, line chemistry with guys. You know, it's it's baseball. It's the same object for each player. So I'm sure these guys will mesh pretty quick and represent the league very well. And if you're new to the show tonight, you found out how Kevin and I can take two points we were going to make and turn that into a 50-minute discussion. How about that? Darn right. <laughs> well, all right. Once again, we want to thank Taylor Snyder for joining us. For Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on This Week in the Association.